You are listening to the Kairos Des Moines podcast. So in our series about leaders and communities, so far, step one, here I am, God. Uh, what are we doing next? Step two is knowing which communities raised you and basically what, uh, what gifts, both blessings and also burdens, like what baggage have you been handed by the communities that raised you? We were all given both, regardless of how awesome the places that we grew up uh, were, the great people that were around us, we've all been handed both blessings and burdens. And so being a leader in community, knows it means knowing what you're bringing uh, to that community around you. And then last week, we talked about what it's like to deal with conflict, because conflict is inevitable. But what we talked about is how if we see the people that we're in conflict with as members of our own personal community, not like a, here's me with the us, and you're one of them, and we're squaring off with each other, and instead of not beating or embarrassing or demolishing someone in an argument, if the goal is, hey, fellow human beings, or just part of our community together, if the goal is reconciliation, then all of a sudden, if the goal is to, if you're arguing with somebody for the sake of working it out, then you're moving and transitioning uh, from working against the person and being in conflict to being collaboration. So it's collaboration instead of conflict. And so you can check out any of those. Those are on the podcast. Um, uh, Feel free to check that out. Link in the bio of the Instagram. Now, um, lest you think this is a bunch of self-help type sounding stuff, you're like, Chris, I can read this anywhere. Why are we talking about this at church? We've also backed all of this up by using Jesus' examples of uh, how Jesus demonstrated all of these different ways that we can be leaders in our communities uh, as he was the ultimate leader of community. But what we're talking about today has the potential to seem counterintuitive for a series where we're talking about how to be in relationship with other people. And, but before we do that... um, I think that it's incredibly important just to say that it's, it's something that I'm seeing day in and day out and, th- and that'll be really important to the next few weeks in culture in particular. So first, let's go through a little imaginative exercise. Even if this isn't usually your thing, go with me. All right. Um, so I invite you to close your eyes uh, or stare off into the distance like a turned off robot, <laughs> um, whatever you're comfortable with. Now, picture yourself. Get that picture really clear. Picture yourself. What do you look like? How old are you in this image of yourself? Is it the current version? Is it something younger? Maybe something older for some people? What does your hair look like? What outfit are you wearing? For those of you who are more visual, you might be picturing yourself in a specific place. Chances are it's not sitting in a pew here tonight. So where are you? Maybe it's someplace from home, school, a class, some other place that means a lot to you. Are there other people there? Who are they? Where are they around you? Now that's the physical part of what you're seeing, but look at that person in your mind's eye. What do they like to do? What are their passions? Looking at them like another person. What? How do you feel about that person that you see? You can open your eyes. You can zone back in. That's a really simple exercise. 
right? For some people. For others, that might have been incredibly difficult for a lot of different reasons. Maybe for you, you're surprised at how, like, difficult that is, either emotionally or just maybe it's hard because either you weren't quite sure what you're supposed to be envisioning, like you're trying to get the correct picture of yourself, whatever that is. Maybe uh, you're, you're trying to figure out, um, like, it was difficult emotionally because you didn't feel like you're supposed to envision yourself or, like, Maybe you don't particularly care for the version of yourself that you saw. Maybe it was difficult because like a lot of people in college, you still really aren't quite sure about this person that you are or the person that you should be. For those listening on the podcast, lots of air quotes. I don't mean to give you an existential crisis tonight. Don't worry, we're not stopping there. Um, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about some of the pressures that you face from those who try to tell you who you are, and then we're going to try to claim fresh perspective on yourself to hopefully give you life as we enter into a busy and hectic season. What we're talking tonight is about how being a leader in community, communities benefit from someone who knows who they are. Communities benefit from people who know who they are. So here's an opinion. Taking a break, this is a fresh, fresh page. Here's my opinion. If you vote early, you should get a code that opts out of all the political, like, all the political, like, commercials. I think this is a great idea. Like, this is, like, top ten best ideas I've ever had. Like, I feel like it would be fair. When I went to Drake, there were definitely, like, internet political ads, but, like, not a ton. Like, they, they still hadn't quite figured it out yet. And so now it's just, you can't watch a video anywhere without seeing a bunch of, like, the same people's face on all the time. And it drives me up the wall. Um, but for a lot of you, maybe even most of you, this might be, like, one of the first times that you can vote. Like, I've only gotten to vote a few times. Um, uh, like, if you think about it, I actually was, like, before one election, I was, like, 17. So I was the oldest I could be without ever being able to vote. And now... Um, the like I hope that you um, that you exercise your right to vote and and all of those different types of things. The reason that I mention it is because doing this community series has like kind of led me to see things through a particular lens. And there's something that I noticed about all of these different political ads. There's something that I notice around a lot of the rhetoric surrounding this particular election. And trust me, I've been given plenty of opportunities to hear them several different times. Um, Essentially, what a lot of political buzzwords try to do, what a lot of the language is from, from all different candidates, um, each party has them, is identify with, get, get you, the consumer, to identify with one side or the other side. Condemn one specific group of people who believes one thing while you stand for this other thing. Now, this is, of course, the natural system of the way things work when you got two different choices of things. Things get polarized naturally. What seems special in this circumstance, what seems special in this year, is that there's this extra bit of, like, us versus them to it. Like, it seems like a little bit more vitriolic. And all the buzzwords seem to come down to this. What people are going to try to do with all of these different ways to influence people, they're trying to tell you who you are. They're trying to get to tell you who you are. Now, you ever notice that some people get more politically minded when it like election comes around? Like all of a sudden people who like don't care about politics the rest of the time, they're like really about it. And like even more specifically, they get more polarized uh, to different sides. And and I'm not necessarily saying that's wrong, but what it does show something is the dirty secret out of all of this. We really, really like when people tell us who we're supposed to be. 
We really like when, when people tell us and give us the model of what we're supposed to do. We like it. Um, one thing that organizers have figured out, in politics and otherwise, they figure out that if you can offer someone a sense of community, not just like of one particular platform or not even just like one particular vote, but you represent a whole entire ideal system. If you can offer somebody community, then there's way more, people are way more likely to join your camp. If you can create a mold in which all of the stances that you're supposed to take, all of the political opinions that you're supposed to hold, all of those different things, if all of those are predetermined, you can kind of put those on like a, like a uniform. And so all of these complex things that you might have to think through for yourself, you don't have to anymore because you get to stand and you get to accept the long list of things of who somebody uh, says that you're going to, to have. You don't have to think for yourself. Somebody gets to tell you who you are. And I can feel, I don't want you to back, pull back. I know, I can feel it just a little bit. I'm not telling, don't worry, I'm not going to tell you who to vote for. It's actually very illegal, by the way. A religious, a religious official, that's yours truly, is not allowed to tell somebody who to vote for. And if you ever see a religious official do that, run from that person for so many reasons. But I actually don't really care at least for the purpose of this conversation, who, who that vote's going for. What I'm talking about is that we are surrounded by a world that wins if it gets to tell you who you are. There are a million different places who are going to try so hard in a sneaky way that makes it seem like they're not doing it. They're going to try to tell you who you are. And this isn't just politics. Lifestyle brands are another great example or influencers that you see on social media. We all have those posts that like you're like going to see like the stories give it to you all the time on Instagram because you go through all the time. They have the specific vibe that you want. Um, they have kind of the look that you'd like to be able to replicate. Just everything kind of seems right. And tagged in those specific posts of any of these different social, social media platforms, tagged in the posts are all the different brands or all the different other people that make these things possible. So you're going to go and you're going to follow all of those. And you follow those multiple accounts and you can fall into the trap of, I like these specific things. I'm about these specific people. And we think the same things about all of these different things. Now, I'm not, that's different than having a specific taste. I'm not saying that's wrong. Um, I'm also not arguing for complete political moderation. The point is, I'm saying you don't want to live in an echo chamber. What I mean by an echo chamber is if you're in a room that echoes and you're by yourself, you speak out loud and all you hear is the same thing coming back to you. You don't want to live in an echo chamber where you're, you look around and all of a sudden everybody only looks like you. You heard about the, the Netflix uh, documentary that's come out recently, The Social Dilemma. Have you seen this? I saw part of it, and I'm actually like more pro-social media than a lot of people. People are like, oh my gosh, they're trying to control my mind. I was like, what is it ever about anything else? But um, that being said, there's that and a bunch of other studies that have been done. It talks about how the algorithms on TikTok, on uh, YouTube, on Facebook, on Instagram, the whole goal is seem they're a business. They're seeming, the goal is to get you to see more of what you want or what you gravitate towards to get you to use the sites longer. It makes sense. It's good for advertising. It's good for, all, for their business. But instead of you telling it who you are and it catering to you, the opposite often happens. 
we allow it to tell us what we're supposed to think and feel and breathe and do. This actually happened. There's a really good podcast. Uh, this is not sponsored by The New Yorker. But there's, um, there, there's a New Yorker podcast that came out. I think it's called The Hole. And it's all about a gentleman. Largely, it's about the internet. But the first several episodes are all about a person who went from no political engagement to radicalization on one particular political spectrum because of the YouTube rabbit hole. It kept feeding him one thing and then another thing and another thing and he spent all this time. And I'm not saying anything about that particular person, but that's what happens. We can end up being handed an identity. And it's not just about internet or political candidates or any of this. A lot of you at this point in your life are dealing with something incredibly difficult in the midst of college, which you might be dealing with somebody else's expectations. Maybe dad always wanted you to be a lawyer. Uh, maybe mom always wanted you to be a doctor of some sort um, that, like she was. Like maybe you were kind of dictated. Maybe your, your parents were, were, were a, uh, a Drake or a Grandview student and they were like, you're going to go to the alumni school. Maybe you were handed these things. And even if it's not specifically that, the big question is this. How much should you have to live into the expectations of somebody else? And you're figuring out all of what you might actually believe for yourself and some things uh, you're figuring out, out now that you're finally out on your own. So how do you know, right? You're like, okay, Chris, well, who gets to tell you? It's not going to be me. It'd be such a dirty trick if I was like, nobody should ever tell you who you are. Let me tell you who you are. That would, that would be wrong and you should not be around me for that. I'm not going to tell you who you are, but I'll tell you who to ask. I'll tell you where to look. And you can figure it out for yourself. I can't tell you who you are, what you're about, all of that. But I'll tell you who to ask. You can ask the person that dealt with, the mo- with <laughs> this exact thing and the brokenness of all humanity and overcame all of it. Yes, the church answer that's always right, Jesus. Um, so our reading from today is going to be John chapter 7. The book of John, the last gospel. Fun fact is a little bit different than the other gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are known as synoptic gospels. John's got like its own thing going on. He's like a spiritually minded type of of individual. Uh, But the author of this book is. We're going to start in John chapter 7 and verse 53. So uh, if you are looking at a Bible, usually this is grouped with chapter 8. Why it's a different chapter, we're not sure. But it starts this story. It starts in chapter 8. And it goes like this. Then they all went home, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, which is a specific place. It's translated, they would have called it something different. It's not just a mount with olives on it. At, at dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them doing Jesus stuff. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. Pause. Caught in the act of adultery. So they pulled a woman out of committing adultery, likely not clothed, and threw her in the middle of a public street. The religious officials of the town. Just want to make sure that we're all knowing what's going on here. In the law of Moses, verse 5, in the law of Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. The law says that we have to kill her. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap, in case you had any other question, in order to have a basis for accusing him. 
The Pharisees' problem with Jesus was that he didn't play by the rules. He didn't fit their qualifications in order to be a part of their group. He was considered a religious expert like they were, but they they really didn't like that because uh, he had to fall in line. You were considered to be a religious expert. You had to fall in line with this very specific way that you dress, specific set of beliefs, the specific set of practices. Jesus didn't do any of those things. And he associated himself constantly with the wrong people. So they decided that they were going to try to expose him as a false religious teacher, or at least a fraud. Because you see, Jesus' authority, just like the Pharisees, came out of his expertise in being able to interpret the law. He could read, not a thing that everybody could do at the time. So he could read, he was really smart, he could interpret. So they were like, this is our guy, he's going he's, he's gonna to tell us how things were. So... Because there were a lot of religious laws, they were going to try to get him to seem like he didn't know what he was talking about. They were going to try to disparage him in front of all of these people that he was teaching. He had his whole crew with him. And because according to the law that they followed, this woman was supposed to be murdered in the street right then. They were hoping that Jesus would contradict him because it means that he didn't know the law. They were trying to catch him in this thing. But Jesus was known for taking mercy on the people who the Pharisees thought weren't good enough. So if they could get Jesus to condemn this woman, if Jesus keeps his authority and says, yes, we should stone her, she should die, then all of the people who followed him for his compassion would leave and all of his authority would be gone. They think they've got him penned. They're like, there's no way he gets out of this one. Because they... This makes sense if you ascribe to the us and them thinking, well, he has to choose one or the other. But Jesus wasn't concerned with all of that. And I hope this is what we take away from tonight. Jesus's perspectives and his actions came out of who he already was, not the other way around. He didn't do a bunch of things to become someone. He was acting out of a place of who he already knew that he was. For him, it was God, but he's also acting in in accordance with how the Father wants him to act. Instead of Jesus holding a specific belief or a stance on something to prove what type of person he was, or to be right about something, Jesus showed what it was like to rise above an argument and act with unparalleled mercy. So it it will continue at the end of verse 6. So they're talking to Jesus and they're like, Jesus, should we stone this woman? Jesus bent down and started right on the ground with his finger. Like you do, I guess. When they kept on questioning him, like, dude, pay attention. He straightened up and said to them, all right, let any one of you who's without sin be the first to throw the stone at her. And then he stooped back down and started right on the ground again. He's like, all right, go for it, guys. At this, those who heard began to go away once at a time. The older ones first because they knew, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there, likely naked and ashamed and wrecked in the street. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I. Jesus declared, Now go and leave your life of sin. Leave that brokenness behind. He said, you're right. The law says she should die. So whichever one of you is perfect, go for it. Hit it. This is Jesus using their own medicine against them because their whole religious identity is following the the letter of the law. 
They have to follow it perfectly in order to be holy. And they're the holiest men of all. But all of them know that they fail. And admitting to failure, or at least lying about it, if they admit to failure, they don't get to be the self-righteous Pharisees anymore. And if they claim uh, perfection and someone can prove them wrong, they themselves can be put to death. So Jesus has completely turned it around on them. We do what we're called to do because of who God made us to be, not the other way around. We don't earn the Jesus follower badge from any political perspective or a vote or by the stances that we take on a particular issue or by the way that we dress or the way that we talk or the music that we listen to or the words we do or do not say. Instead, we act out of our identity of being loved and made in the image of God, we start from that place. Because that can and does change us and the perspective that we have in the world. If we start from a place of being loved first, God creates Adam and Eve. The first day after he creates them, what do they do? Nothing. It's the day of rest. Is their first day there. They start from a place of peace. They start from a place of knowing exactly who they are. So what does that look like for us? I know so many of us, and, and I'm not even in the middle of midterms, but I mean starting in the middle of a lot of ministries that we have going on right now, starting a lot of different things. My 15-month-old thinks it's super fun to wake up at four, like, which it is, I guess. But point being... So many of us don't know what it's like to to wake or to work from a place of being refreshed. My question is, what does a perspective change look like for you, just in your spirit, in just this one small way to go, if I start from a place of being loved, a place of value, and I'm not working to maintain that, if I don't have to earn that first, how, how does my countenance change with the relationships that I have with people around me? How does all of a sudden the way I interact with those around me change? How do I treat myself differently if I don't all of a sudden have to earn and inevitably fail and then come back from that again? What does it look like to start from a place of being loved? Maybe you're somebody who has felt lost because you've jumped around with different groups or tried to align yourselves with different kind of these, put on all these different kind of like uniforms for groups that you want to be a part of. And maybe like nothing's ever quite stuck because nothing fits perfectly. The secret is that nothing's ever going to fit perfectly, but it shouldn't because you are uniquely made. One of my, my favorite professors at Drake, Dr. Saylor, I know he's still there. I know some people take classes from him now. He, one of his pet peeves in writing is you cannot use the word unique, almost ever. Some people use it to be like, oh, that's special. Man, that's so unique. He's like, no, no, no. If there's two of the same thing, it's not unique. You friends are unique. That's the reason. That's the reason why it can't fit perfectly. Because you were made to be uniquely and specially you. You are truly unique. And you owning your specific combinations of blessings, perspectives, and opportunities that are put in front of you, that will allow you to lead in your community. Only when you are able to fully own you and lead from that place of who exactly you're made to be, that's when you maximize your potential as a leader. Our communities need more people who know who they are 
instead of trying to be somebody else. You are a beloved child of God. And beyond that, you and God get to decide who that is and what that means. I can't tell you. Don't ever let anybody else tell you. But God knows. Go to God and figure that out. Between you and God, I think you're going to be just fine. So what does that look like this week? What's one step? Maybe that's a certain way. Maybe you dress to impress other people. Maybe that's a thing. Maybe you um, try to present yourself in a certain way. Maybe you try to, maybe you spend your way a certain time to try to accomplish some sort of social calendar. What is it like to reclaim some of that and who you really are? Maybe it's just taking some time to be quiet, to do something that you love and try to figure out and take one step towards really knowing who that is. It's okay in college to not know who you are. Lord knows I certainly didn't. I figured it out like yesterday. No, but for real, uh, yeah, we talk about the same thing with Revive and young adults. We're all continually figuring that out, but the only way that we do that is if we walk with a God that knows us and made us and love us. So take one step towards that this week, whatever that looks like for you. Amen.